This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. That's right. That's right. That's right. This is another edition of the H-Town Hoops Podcast with Brandon Scott. Adam Spolane here with me. Austin Mendez handling things for us behind the scenes, producing this bad boy for us. And we produce, we appreciate you for it. And, yo, Adam, we've already done our pre-lottery special. We obviously did a live show about the NBA draft lottery. Well, really, listeners and viewers were able to sort of get our real-time reaction to the to the lottery um, and to the, to the results. And so we've been there. We've done that. That's all archived, and folks can check that out. We will continue to discuss the offseason plans, what they might do in the draft, what they could do in free agency, a couple of things that we'll bat around back and forth here um, throughout this episode. But let's start off with sort of the news of the day or the news of the moment for the Rockets. I think with us transitioning from the lottery to the scouting combine that, you know, there have been media availabilities for these guys that have been at the scouting combine. Pretty much the entire league is there. We've now, I, I feel like, gotten our first and maybe most thorough look and dissecting of M.A. Udoka and the team that he's inheriting. He did interviews with Kelly Eco at The Athletic, Jonathan Fagan at the Houston Chronicle, and we got to get a little bit of insight into how he views the players that he's inheriting, the team that they have in front of him, and some of the things that he wants to do. And all of it, I feel like, is pretty consistent, both his analysis of the team and the things and their shortcomings were pretty consistent with what we watched and what we understand them to be and sort of the things that he wants to do with the players uh, in terms of creating better shots, giving better effort on defense, those type of things, uh, uh, turning up the intensity and things like that. I think were all things that we would probably say were consistent with what we expected of him. But what were some of your takeaways from what you've read from Ime Yudoka over the last 24 hours or so? You know, I, I haven't gotten to, to read a lot of it, but I've had a couple of people who have kind of say one thing and they've kind of come to the same conclusion. And that is he's kind of been taking some shots at the previous coaching staff. Yeah. Stuff that he that he said and just kind of it kind of feels like that he felt that the guys on the roster were in a sense misused. And and I think the big one, and I think this is probably the one that's most important moving forward. He brought up Kevin Porter Jr. as a spot up shooter and how he's basically a 40% three point shooter. And it's kind of the same thing. We've talked about catch and shoot stuff. We've talked about spot up stuff and, but he just didn't take very many. 
You know, he, he took very few spot up or catch and shoot type threes when he's probably the best on the team at it. Two and a game. Two a game was what, what we came up with. Two a game. And it's one of those things where it feels like they are going to try to get him to do that more. And it feels like they're going to try and move him off the ball a little bit. And I'm very interested to see how that goes, because it's not like the previous staff did not know about the catch and shoot numbers. It was talked about plenty, but it was difficult to it was it was hard to move Porter off the ball because there was nobody they had that could really play on the ball. I guess the one guy who could maybe create offense for other people was Alper and Shingun. And one of the things that we've talked about with Shingun and one of the things that really hurt them, you know, he's obviously a very good offensive player, but he would never look to the perimeter when it came to passing. All of his assists would usually come towards the basket. So you weren't getting those catch and shoot opportunities when, 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 uh, when Shingun would essentially serve as the hub and you had Porter around him just because those weren't the type of shots that Shingun would really look for, for, you know, when it came to, to creating shots for his teammates. So I, I'm interested to see how much they play Kevin Porter Jr. off the ball because he was their best three-point shooter the entire season. He's very good when it comes to catch and shoot, and they just did not – he just not did not have enough opportunities to do that. Well, but this has to be like a good sign for Kevin Porter Jr. fans, right? Like if you're a Kevin Porter Jr. fan or you're somebody that really wants Kevin Porter Jr. to work here, to me this is a good sign because it says that they're going to put Kevin Porter Jr. in more of a role that is advantageous to him, that maybe better suits him. Now we talked about maybe he's better off leading a second unit, so maybe he is still better off with the ball in his hands and not just relegating him to just being a catch-and-shoot guy. But I, I do feel like it's a step in the right direction to say, hey, we're going to move him off the ball and not make him as ball dominant and try to take more advantage of his scoring ability and allow him to be a playmaker on top of that, but maybe not make that his central job or his central focus. The, the interesting part about that is whenever you – Kevin Porter Jr., at the end of the season, he made it clear he's a point guard. And he, there were – I wish there was video of it or there is somewhere, I just haven't been able to find it, but he it was somewhat, I'm not going to say contentious, but it was somewhat uncomfortable. Uh, it was during the last, it was after the last practice of the season, or at least the last practice that they had at Toyota center. And somebody asked him about moving off the ball and he said, okay, well then, you know, about moving maybe to more of a wing role. And basically his response is, well, who's playing point guard. And they basically, and then there was a follow-up question to that. And he basically said, I'm a point guard. And so they've kind of had that in their heads, you know, from, from an organizational standpoint where they traded for him two years ago and they made him a point guard. Now, I don't know how he would feel about being asked to move off of that role. And so it's kind of an interesting, uh, you know, tug and pull here with that role. And I'm very interested to see how that works out. Now, the previous staff was the one who said, hey, we're making you a point guard. Now you have a new head coach. And it, and it seems pretty clear that he and Yudoka have struck up a bond so far. I mean, Porter was the only player who was at the press conference where Yudoka was introduced. Um, Porter has been in Chicago at the Combine. He spoke to the guys who are going to get drafted. I believe it was yesterday. So it, it's kind of, I'm assuming Ime Yudoka is kind of planning the whole, hey, you know what, we agree, you know, we, we think you're a point guard, but at the same time, we feel like you, some of your skills would really work well off the ball too. Yeah, there, there could be a happy compromise where he becomes like a point forward type, where they move him off the ball, he's the other wing, but he's sort of a secondary playmaker, and maybe that's the 
the bridge there. But I would ask you, since you were there for that moment that you just talked about of him saying that I'm a point guard and I was not. So I would ask you, because I'm curious, here's like my response or reaction, having not been there, just trying to read it based off of the way that you said it and based off of what I know about the team and how it's discussed and how these guys are talked about. Do you wonder if maybe, or at least I wonder, if maybe that was his response because of all of the criticism about him being a point guard, but he went out there and was their best player last year, and when he wasn't out there for the 20-some-odd games or whatever it was with the foot thing like the or the toe, whatever it was, like they not only did they not have a starting point guard, but they didn't have a backup point guard to even fill his role, really, and they were lost. They were lost without him, and it wasn't a very good team wasn't a good team at all to begin with, with or without him. But he was clearly the best player on the team. He was the only person that could play point guard at all at an NBA level, really, on the team. And I wonder if, like, at the end of the season, after putting in a season like that where he kind of showed and proved his value, at least to that particular team, if he's kind of just like, hey, guys, what the hell? You know, like, I just went out there and did a pretty damn good impression of a point guard for a guy who's not a point guard. Like, I wonder, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying, I wonder if in his mind he's actually okay with just being able to go out there and play and still be some sort of focal point, even if he's not the point guard. Yeah, I don't know. I, I always, I'm always real careful about trying to psychoanalyze players because I'm in no position to do it. Um, but I, I think his big, you know, because he, he asked, okay, well, if I'm not playing point guard, who is playing point guard, essentially? Because the, but the answer to that is an easy answer. Like, well, I, I, trust not, not, I wanted to chime in and say, yeah, you know, there's this guy with the beard. He's been around. You know, you might know him. You kind of, yeah. I kind of wanted to get. It. I, I wanted to follow up with that. It wasn't exactly the best time. But but even even but even if we didn't like straight up disrespect him and say, hey, James Harden is coming here to take your job, it could still be that. Like, well, the answer is you guys have free agency and a draft coming up. You're going to have an opportunity to add players one way or another, one player or another. So it could be any it could be anybody in theory after this season. Like, yeah, in season, who's going to play point guard? The answer is no damn body because nobody else could. Right. But but the idea is that they're not going to go into next season looking the same way that they did this year. Yeah, you would think. And you look at the guys who are on the market, obviously their top free agent target, we think, is a point guard. Um, we're going to get into what they might do it for, um, you know, the leftovers from one through three. I think probably three or four of the highest rated prospects after you get past the top three are point guards as well. So it becomes, you know, there are some interesting decisions that they have to make when it comes to that position, because it's, it's important. I mean, that's the guy who runs your offense. That's the, you know, that if you are going to have a good offense, you need to have a good point guard, not just for the minutes that Porter's on the floor, but you know, for the 16 minutes or whatever, where he's not on the floor. And that's where, their offense tended to really die last year, especially when he had to miss those 20 games is when uh, he wasn't on the floor. So uh, I, I, I kind of reserve judgment on a lot of this stuff until you see what the roster is actually going to look like, because what the roster is now is not going to be even close to what the roster looks like once training camp starts in, you know, four and a half months or whenever it is. Yeah, I, I, I do wonder, and not to go too far into the psychoanalysis, but I do wonder how committed, necessarily Kevin Porter is to necessarily being a point guard versus how proud he is of himself for being able to show that he could do it on some level, even if he's not a natural at it. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this one comment though. You said you didn't get, get to read all of some of this stuff, but here's one talk about the 
criticism of the previous coaching staff. I th- I thought this quote from Ime Udoka to the Athletics Kelly Eco was it felt like and just is reading it obviously, so I don't have necessarily can't adjust for tone, but this felt like a criticism of both the players' effort themselves and perhaps the coaches. Kelly asked, and this is obviously edited a little bit for clarity, but essentially the question is, what have you been able to gather from last season's tape from a defensive standpoint? Obviously noting that the team struggled, but there were some bright spots. And this is the quote that stands out to me from Ime Udoka. He says, the first thing I would say is that we have competitive guys. What I saw on tape at times didn't always translate to who those players are or to who they are as players. We have some naturally good defenders. So there he is. He's saying we have some competitive guys, but what I saw on tape did not translate into who they are as players, which is to say they weren't very competitive on defense. To me, that's that's the way that I translated that. Um, I don't know if that's if that's the way that you read into it, but you've got to think that Emi Udoka watches this film and probably just puts his head down on some of the things that they did defensively. And that that might be the most immediate impact that Emi Udoka is going to have on the team. I need to follow up with Kelly because I want to know what these bright spots were. Cause I feel like I was, I, I watched a good portion of these games and I don't remember too many bright spots. I remember, you know, maybe possession here, possession there, maybe some deflections, but there weren't a whole lot of bright spots. So Kelly's being very, very, being very, very charitable. He's um, trying, he's trying, he's trying to throw him a bone there. Yeah. Trying to throw him a bone. Say, hey, man, it wasn't all bad, huh? what you think? I mean, they were, they weren't last in defense. So that was a good thing. Uh, he, he, did, he did kind of get into the scheme and the drop coverage and, you know, they had Shingun in drop coverage a lot, but Shingun isn't really a type of guy who you want in drop coverage. The problem is what defense are you actually going to play him in? That, that, that would be my question. And we'll get into this as you get into camp and, and deeper into the summer, but like, okay, what, what defense do you feel like Shingun would be best suited for and how does that impact the rest of the team? Uh, so I, I, I'm very, you know, we can read all this stuff and we can talk about it, but uh, you got to see it on the floor. You, you got to see how it looks once it gets on the floor. You got to see how the rest of the roster really shapes up because the roster is going to be so different. And do you, are, are you able to make it to where, you know, maybe Shingun isn't guarding centers anymore? You know, they, we, t- we talked about this plenty over the course of the winter where they would try and hide Shingun on wings if they had the right matchup. Is that something that they try to do more often, which I think makes a whole lot of sense, but the problem is they're going to find you eventually. Um, so I'm, I'm very, I, I'm just interested to see how it all looks because I do feel like the team that we saw, not even if you kept the same roster, if you kept the same 17 guys that they finished the season with, I feel like the team would look and they would look and play very, very different compared to how it looked last season. If you just brought everybody back, especially I think on the defensive end of the floor, I think that stylistically is where maybe the front office and the coaching staff didn't see eye to eye. I think offensively it looked bad because it was bad, but they're just, it was very hard to make that better. A lot of it was just, if you don't have shooting, you're not going to have a very good offense and they did not have shooting. They only had the one point guard as we've talked about. So um, I, I want to see, I, it's one of those things where I would love to be able to ask Ime Udoka this stuff myself, just because you want to, I, I want to get more specific on, on some of this stuff. Yeah. And he, and he had a lot of good stuff or at least interesting stuff about spacing and, you know, like you mentioned the drop coverage with Shingun, um, the freelance. So I don't think he used that term, but, 
sort of felt like it was a, a bit of a freelance off uh, offense. He wants yeah. them to kind of have a, a, a an ability to have some structure and to be able to create not just for themselves but for each other. Uh, it's wild, man, especially well, watching the. And I mean, obviously, you're watching the NBA playoffs too. Like all of the playoff teams that are left now play some version of that, of what we're talking about, of like just sharing the basketball, moving the ball around, making the next smart basketball play. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, definitely the last couple of episodes, the, the Rockets just don't have a ton of guys, if any, not too many who really know what they're doing out there, who know what the next smart basketball play necessarily is. And I think that's where the structure part is really interesting because this was a Silas thing really from the start where I, I think it was before his first season even started. And this is when they were going to have the vets. This is when they're going to have Harden and Wall running the offense. He said, I don't want to call plays. I don't want to be a team that calls a bunch of plays. If you're watching us and the players are looking back at me for play calls, that means we're not playing the way that we want to play. That means we're not playing fast enough. That's what that, you know, that means we're not playing with flow. And it's easy to do that when you have James Harden and John Wall running your offense. It's a lot harder to do that when you have a bunch of teenagers doing it. So I think playing with more structure would certainly help them from an offensive standpoint, especially at the beginning. So that I'm very, I think that's a very important step that that it looks like they're going to take at least at the start of the season. And you know, hopefully for them as you move further along and guys get more experience you don't have to call plays and you can just let them run things run things on their own because in, in the nba you don't want to overcoach. you know this is in college where you know the shot clock is 30 so you have more time and you can run a whole lot of different things and you're looking back at the coach every single time because the coaches are in so much control it doesn't work like that in, in the nba so I, i'm interested to see how constricting he tends to be when it comes to the structure and does he ease off with that a little bit as the season goes along man i wish it didn't work like that in college honestly i wish they didn't overcoach there either but that's a discussion for a whole nother day i wish they'd let kind of let their guys play a little bit more but i do understand why they don't uh, if you watch the game you kind of you might understand why they might want to have a little bit of a heavier hand with some of those guys out there uh but yeah man like uh this is this is going to be interesting to see how this MA Udoka thing unfolds over time. Obviously, they're in a in the combine stage right now. The draft is coming up, but once we get in to camp and you know, obviously the season itself, it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this stuff plays out. And and we'll have this discussion again, I'm sure, as the team sort of remakes itself or is remade, I should say, as players come and go. We'll probably throw these ideas around and talk about fits and those sort of things and those will be fun discussions to have to have but let me ask you this when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply you know anything about Royal Ivy as a as an assistant coach? Because I haven't thought about him much since. Obviously, he's a very good player at Texas twenty years ago, and you know had some time in the NBA. I remember with the with the Atlanta with the Atlanta uh, Hawks for for a while, but haven't thought about him much. Obviously, he's been an assistant coach, worked with Emei Udoka on the Brooklyn staff. 
what and I've heard good things about Royal Royal Ivy. I even heard somebody say, I can't remember who this was, but I read somebody say that hey, you know, he'll be a he'll be a head coach eventually. So it's fine. And I'm like, oh, I didn't I had no idea that Royal Royal Ivy was on any kind of fast track to become a head coach or anything. But what do you think about this hire? I feel like it's the first one that I really know of of, of anybody joining Udoka staff. Yeah, this is the first name that has been at least reported so far. And I I don't know much about Royal Ivy, the assistant coach. I did run it by somebody within the league. And um, this person said that he's he's terrific. So I'm going to take that person's word for it. Um, You know, it's interesting because he does have ties to James Harden in Oklahoma City back. We kind of finished his career uh, playing in Oklahoma City in those uh, early Westbrook Durant. Harden years. Now, I don't think that you hire Royal Ivy as, you know, a way to get James Harden. It's not like, oh, hey, you know, Philly offered me four years. You guys are offering me two. But you know what? You guys have Royal Ivy on the staff, so I'm just going to – I'll I'll take the less money. No, I don't think that's how it works. But he he's a guy who's been thought of highly. He's been a part of teams that have kind of been in developmental mode, I think that you could say, uh, both as a player and as a coach. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I do think – I've been fascinated by the lack of staff hires at this point, but I, I think it was Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated basically said that Udoka is going to bring some guys over from Boston. And, you know, Boston's playing right now. It makes some sense uh, that he would bring over some of his guys because you look, his, you know, he had three assistants of his from the Celtics last year, now head coaches. Joe Mazzulla is a head coach now. Um, Will Hardy's a head coach now. And, and then, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Damon Stoudemire is, is a head coach. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. In college. So that's a good portion of his staff that has moved on to be head coaches, but he does have – there are still guys left on that Boston staff that he could bring over. But, yeah, the the, the staff – it seems like he's not bringing anybody back from Silas' staff. Uh, it, it's been three weeks now, and that hasn't come up at all. Um, and that maybe even includes John Lucas at this point, you know, you're kind of waiting to to hear if, if Lucas might return. It kind of, I, I feel like if Lucas were to return, they would have said something by now, but you know, who knows? It, it might be a situation where Lucas just stays in player development as opposed to being, you know, an actual bench assistant where he was the lead assistant the last three years for Silas. So that's an interesting domino that's still left here. Yeah. Um, and of course, Kelly did ask him about that, about hiring his assistants. And it was a pretty standard quote about, you know, wanting to find guys that can build relationships with players, an energetic group of coaches uh, who are going to be hands on and that basically that that's just something that they're still working on. Uh, one of the things that they've been working on in this time. But you know, I thought it was funny. I would hear Celtics fans whenever all of this news is coming out about Royal Ivy and anything about the potential coaching staff for Ime Yadoka. And they're asking if he can if he can take Missoula with them. Um, which is which is funny, obviously, but uh, but but also to me speaks to and I know Missoula's having to, you know his stretch there as a rookie head coach, but it, it is it is noticeable not having him there. I, I scoff at anybody that's like, oh well, they're they're just fine without him. Like, yeah, no, they are they were talented before he became their head coach and have been talented since. Obviously, uh, he didn't put the team together, but I mean, he he made a noticeable difference on that team. I think. You can see that from what they were before he got there and what they've been without him. I, I think I think there's enough there now to, to at the very least say that. But uh, but that's that on the sort of these news items. Since, since you did bring it up, I guess, before we move on, what did you make of the James Harden 
uh, quote from, well, I wouldn't even say quote. It was a report from Chris Haynes at Bleacher Report, also does sideline reporting at TNT. And he says, in a nutshell, that James Harden wants to go somewhere where he can be, play his brand of basketball or play freely, something to that effect. And then also was be, be himself, was it? Where he could be himself and also that he's seeking a four-year deal. Those are the those are the big, like, juicy things that came out of that story or from that sourced report from Chris Haynes. What did you what did you make of that? Because the for me, when I heard four years and like a, a, an actual like, hey, that's the number that he wants. And that's obviously not coming from James Harden himself. But if there's some truth to that, it did make me think a little bit. I, but he can that say might be he, the cost. He, yeah. he can say he wants four years all he wants. He's still got to get it from somebody. Right. So, you know, if if the Sixers don't offer four and the Rockets say, yeah, we're only going to offer two, he's just going to sit there. And at some point, you, at some point you got to sign with somebody. So, um, you know, we, we talked about Harden quite a bit, um, both on Sunday and on Tuesday. And I am on, I am of the belief that they should bring Harden back. However, they can't do it out of desperation. If that makes sense. Like it, it needs to be somewhat on their terms. Um, you don't want to have to be too reliant and too dependent on him, not just in year one, but you don't want to have to be dependent on him in year four. If you're going to sign, if you're going to bring him back, he can't come back as the guy. He has to come back as a guy. So the whole, the organ, everything runs through me, both in terms of on the floor and off the floor, that can't happen anymore. And that's something that I wrote back in December is like, I'm all for them bringing Harden back because it would make them a better basketball team, but he can't, he he's not the guy anymore and they aren't necessarily wanting him to be the guy. So he can't act like the guy. So I, I would be, if he wants to come back, great. I think that they should look to make that happen, but it has to be somewhat on their terms as well. Yeah. And I feel like their terms would be exactly the way that you describe it, but I am now wondering and also curious Harden can be kind of a mysterious dude I am kind of you talk about psychoanalyzing somebody he can be kind of a mysterious dude I, I do wonder how he views himself especially within the context of Houston would he come back you know like this isn't Trevor Ariza coming back after signing a deal and then coming back and being a role player on a playoff team like this is you know and I say this isn't newsflash James Harden isn't, isn't Trevor Ariza but like it's it's one of those things where like I wonder if he himself views, you know, it's one thing on how the league views you, how your potential employers view you, and how media views you, fans. But it uh, it does matter how one player views himself, and 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 I wonder if those things might end up being in conflict. I mean, obviously we'll we don't know, but that is something to observe, and, and the reason why those comments were interesting to me of, hey, I want four years, and I want to be myself. Yeah, that I'll be, when I saw that the alarm bell started going off in my head because yep. I, I have been saying it for months now that they should look to bring him back if it's out there. But if if, if those are the terms, then that's where I really think twice about it. And so, but if he were to go to Philly, if he were to stay in Philly, he's not the best player there. If he were to go to Phoenix, he wouldn't be the best player there either. So I mean, it, it's not like he's going to be able to get to be himself on all these other teams. It's a weird situation. And that's the hard part when you're dealing with these stars who are not stars anymore because they still think they're stars and they are essentially the last ones to figure it out. 
You know, the whole world knows when you're not a star, but it's still in your head, you think you're the same guy, and that's just not how it is. All right, so talking about one option that they have at point guard, James Harden, obviously, but they could have some other options. They didn't get the the prized number one overall pick and the rights to Victor Wimbanyama in this NBA draft lottery earlier in the week. We already know that, of course. And so the debate and discussion, one that we had that night and one that we'll continue to have until the draft, but I think we've had a couple of days, a couple of nights now to let it marinate and digest it and to kind of think about it. I know you posed this question to me while we were doing the show about trading up with that pick, uh, you know, number four, number 20, and maybe some combination of your Brooklyn picks, finding, you know, offering to, to, to take on salary of bad contracts, whatever you got to do to move up into that top three, possibly two with Charlotte, whatever you can do to get yourself an opportunity to get one of those three players. Obviously you're not going to get Victor, but one of those other two players in Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller, who is kind of separated from what else you could get at four. Now that we thought about it for a little while, or and, and I'm, I'm just going to say off top, I'm, you kind of sold me on that right then and there, and I've been leaning into it ever since then, this idea that you would trade up into the top three. I don't know how possible or how feasible it is. Don't have a great sense for Charlotte's and Portland's appetite to trade for you, but where are you right now on the, at this moment on what the Rockets should do with the number four overall pick? So I think Portland is definitely – that pick is for sale with them. The problem is that the Rockets wouldn't necessarily have what Portland would want in a trade because Portland is going to want vets who will help that team win now if they were to move that pick, and the Rockets don't have that. So you kind of have to say that that that's not really much of a possibility. Charlotte is interesting, and I talked to someone who has you know dealt with them before, and basically it kind of seems like they're, they don't want to move the pick. It, it kind of seems like they would be more than content with taking Brandon Miller, I kind of think that they should trade LaMelo, take Scoot Henderson and really just start over and start the clock over again with the new, and they're going to have, they're going to sell the team probably pretty soon. And so if you're a new owner, you don't have to deal with the, with the LaMelo ball contract extension. So uh, I think that that would be the way to go, but I, I don't see them doing that. So I think that they're just kind of going to be left there at four and they're going to either have to make a decision, whether they can, you know, trade that pick for a player maybe trade down, you know, the possibilities are there. It's a really difficult decision because this is kind of the one spot that you didn't really want to be in. You want, you know, one was that that's one obviously is the grand prize of the whole thing. Two and three are pretty solid consolations, but once you get to four, that's where all the question marks come in. And I think if they make the pick there at four, it's a really tough call. And I think that, the Thompson twins are probably, they have the highest ceiling, but this is a team that is wanting to win next year. Are the Thompson twins, or is either Thompson twin going to be able to help you win next year? I think the answer to that is probably no. So do you, you know, remember Sacramento was in the exact same spot last year at four. The Kings were looking to win. So they took the high floor, low ceiling guy in Keegan Murray. That worked out pretty well. Plus they didn't need Jaden Ivey because they already had De'Aaron Fox but the Kings were a whole lot closer than the Rockets are. So if you're the Rockets, are you going, you know, with the higher floor, low ceiling guy um, in order to try and win games this year? So I, I do wonder, I, I wonder how different the thinking would be for them 
if they didn't owe the picks to Oklahoma City. Like if they had full control of their 2024 draft pick, I wonder if the equation looks a little different than it does right now. And I think that that's the danger with this whole thing. You almost have to, for the betterment of your team moving forward, you almost have to say, you know what? We just need to go out and get the best player. And if it hurts us this season, it hurts us this season, and we made a bad trade, and now we have to live with it. And that that happens sometimes. So I've I've been I've I watched a little bit. I didn't get to watch very much, but uh, the kid from uh, from Central Florida, Taylor Hendricks, I watched the first. Basically, I haven't had a chance to, to watch enough of it, but like the first ten minutes of the game against U of H, the one that they played in Orlando. And because Hendricks kind of fits what they need, he can shoot. He's got good size. He's, you know, he's got some versatility to him, but he, he made a lot just within like the first four minutes, he made a lot of mistakes. And I'm talking about, he missed all, he, he completely whiffed on a box out. He's turning the ball over. He's making mistakes defensively on shooters. It, it, it was not the first four minutes of that game, He but he made a couple threes. And, you know, for the Rockets, that's that's really what they could use. So it's a – I think for them, it's such a tough call. It, this is such a tough position to be in. You know, last year, it was easy. You were going to take the guy of uh, Jabari, Chet, and Paolo. Whichever one was left over, that was going to be the guy that you, that you were going to wind up taking. They knew early on in 2021 that they were going to get Jalen Green. Now this is where it becomes very, very difficult. Yeah, man, I, I thought we were going to have – and uh, it it sucks because I was hoping we would have a longer conversation about the possibilities with the trade. But you are probably right there where it could be in their best interest in both teams, that being Charlotte and Portland, to not trade that pick. You know, like they're both both of those teams are in a position where they could actually use a player or one of the players that would be available there to them. Now, Portland, like you say, is is might be willing to shop it but then there's an issue of what do you have like what do you have to offer portland exactly um and, and so I, I guess my thought too though was before we move on is also like is that is there a way to use that pick along obviously with 20 and your hodgepodge of brooklyn picks and just anything else that you got to maybe try to lure a star that's probably that that's that's another issue i think with the pick that we should point out here on this podcast to adam is that that number four pick is also like it's also not valuable for the same reason why you would want to trade it right like it's not like somebody's going to give you something that changes your franchise for that pick because if they would you probably would be more interested in it right you'd probably be more interested in 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 taking a player there so that that's another point of conflict for them but it would be great if that if that was more of a conversation just like we saw you know football is totally different but just like you saw the texans package their extra some of their extra assets to go up and get a guy that they really wanted um and and in a draft that might turn out to be top heavy to begin with you know similar situation here where it's like if you're picking at the top of the draft you really want to be picking at the top of the draft because once you get after three it's a lot more of a crapshoot i have i will say i have admired um i know you i know fans can work your nerves a little bit but it's been it has been hilarious i would say to watch like the complete change in discourse amongst the people that 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 follow the rockets and root for the rockets from like praying for victor and all of the victor and scoot photoshops and like now i'm and thompson might as well be jason kidd or magic johnson or penny hardaway reincarnated like I, i've never seen a heel turn quite like that 
Well, uh, this is what it was last year with Bancaro and Jabari, where everyone just assumed that, hey, it's, it's going to be Bancaro. Here, let's get, get your Bancaro jerseys. And then within, what, 10 minutes, it completely flipped. So it's it's funny how that stuff works. But you're, it's it's such the, the drop-off after three is so steep. And it's it's tough. And, and the thing is, they won the coin toss. You know, it's it's been a coin toss the last three years for them to be able to keep the top four, just to stay in the top four. They've won the coin toss three straight years, and this was not the year. To, this is the year you wanted to lose the coin toss because it just, you know, four just doesn't get you a whole lot. Now, hey, maybe maybe one of the tops and twins blows a team away. Maybe Portland is blown away by by Amin Thompson you know, something like that. Maybe Portland is kind of in the Keegan Murray thing. You know, they, they want somebody who's going to help them right away. Although I think Henderson and Miller will probably be able to do that. So it's just, it's, it's a really tough spot. It's a really tough spot to be in. Um, it, it's somewhat similar. Remember uh, in 19, when the Lakers made the trade for Anthony Davis, they had four as well. And they still had to throw in, uh, Anthony, uh, they still had to throw in Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart and more picks to make that trade work. So sometimes just four, it sounds good. It, you know, it, it looks great to say that you have the fourth pick in the draft, but sometimes just it's not worth nearly as much as the pick before it. And that's kind of the situation that they're in. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching more of these guys because, you know, I saw Brandon Miller a lot at Alabama. Uh, I'm not going to worry about watching Scoot Henderson tape at this point because he's not going to fall fall to them. But I'm really interested to see the Twins. Um, saw a little bit of Anthony Black uh, at, at Arkansas. They went on a, on a tournament run. But the, the problem that they have um, is the three-point guards. You know, the two Thompson Twins plus Anthony Black is that big weaknesses for those guys, it's the shooting. shooting. And yep. that's what they really need. You know, if they want to win games, if they want to get somebody who's going to help them win games next year, it's really hard to take a non-shooter. It's just going to be very difficult to do that. Um, Anthony Black could probably help them in other ways. Anthony Black went through an SEC schedule, and the SEC was very, very good last year. But the shooting is going to be what hurts. I mean, he's 6'6". He's, he's got great size for, for that position, uh, he, and he knows how to play the position. Yep. But again – the shooting is going to be what holds them back. So, hey, may, maybe these guys are better shooters. Maybe they, it's something that they are really working on as we get through the draft process, and maybe they shoot it better than people realize. But that's the first thing that comes to mind. Like, hey, they want to draft the point guard. I think that's great, but they need some shooting. And if they want to try and win some games next year, they need shooting. And really, the best shooter out of the guys who I would expect to be available would be Taylor Hendricks. And I don't know if that's the type of guy that you're taking it for. Yeah, it's just a damn shame that you don't have anything to trade with with Portland because Brandon Miller actually really feels the need that you have. I think more than anything, as as if you're the Rockets, like I feel like Brandon Miller. If if you obviously if you can't get one of those, uh, you know, Scoot Henderson and Victor Wembanyama, like Brandon Miller is not only just the next best player on the board, but he also does fit a very specific need. We talked about that too on the podcast. How both Scoot and Brandon Miller would slot in right in places where they're presumably weak or could stand to get a lot stronger. So, so that, that part of it is, is something, but, but you mentioned, yeah, I just want to reiterate, cause you hit the, you hit on the point. That's really the main one. I think about these prospects, like I, I am more of an Anthony black over Thompson guy or over the Thompson twins, but that's just because I watched more college basketball than I've watched over time elite. And I, and I understand it better. I don't really understand what's going on with these overtime elite guys. It's a new concept. 
I can clearly see that he's super athletic and gifted and is going to be an NBA player. But it's I not feel like- basketball. I mean, let's, let's just be flat out. The G League and overtime elite, it's not, it, it, you know, it, it's going to help you in certain areas, but you're not playing competitive basketball. You're just not. You know, you're not playing in high leverage games. You know, Anthony Black is playing in the SEC. He's yeah. playing against really good SEC teams. And, you know, he's playing for conference championships. He was conference in the tournament, NCAA he, tournament. You know, he beat they, he beat Kansas in the NCAA tournament. He played against uh, the team that won the national championship in the NCAA tournament. Like, you can't replicate that in yeah. the G League. You can't replicate that by playing in the overtime elite. And so I don't think you learn as much about these prospects who are playing in that type of a situation because it's just not the same. You know, again, those rules are closer to NBA rules. You're playing against older guys, but it's just, it's completely different. And the intensity is so different than what you're going to see when you play college basketball. And so my, my hope, my hope is that now with NIL, that these guys go to college and they play college basketball just because I think first of all, it'd be great for, for the college game, but it would put these guys in, competitive environments it would put them under the microscope because you go and you play in the g league nobody's watching you nobody cares you know what you do but if you're playing in college then there's some pressure well i want to see how you deal with the pressure of being on the number one team in the nation and how you deal with playing against a really good team how do you deal with playing in you know the ncaa tournament how how do you deal with that and you're just not getting that same sort of intensity you're not playing in that that same high leverage spot when you're playing in uh in in, in the G league and, you know, Anthony black, I thought he was pretty good in the NCAA tournament. And that shows me a lot. You know, if you can, if you can play well in that environment, that shows me a whole lot about you as a player. Yeah. I'm on the Anthony. I've been on the Anthony black thing, even since before I knew that they were going to be in a position where they had to make these decisions. I was obviously hoping that the, that it would go differently and it wouldn't come down to this, but I've talked about Anthony black being the guy that I'm high on just because of those very reasons. Like I don't, like these guys that go and play in the G League or, or you know, Ignite or, or Overtime Elite, I basically just look at them as folks who go become influencers until they can go to the NBA. Because being an influencer is more profitable than necessarily going to college until recently, you know, where now you've got NIL, kind of to your point, now that there is NIL, maybe they just go to college. But I just, I don't really fully understand how to evaluate that and, and honestly don't have the time to go to seek it out. Like I'm watching college basketball on purpose, whether I'm looking at it through a rocket's lens or not. I, I consume that on purpose as a matter of either tradition or habit or whatever you want to call it. But that's, that's where I watch basketball players who don't play in the NBA. And it used to be that that's where they started. That's where they went before they got to the NBA. Now you might find them anywhere. But but Anthony Black, man, it, that that's the one that I really like. But I've talked to this. I've talked about this with other uh, Rockets media and fans and people who are kind of looking at this. It's like, man, but do you like him at four? Like you like him as a player, but do you like him at four, especially if he can't shoot? So it's like, man, the guys that you would even like and could help you and could fill a need also don't do a thing well that important guys on your team right now don't necessarily do well. Like Jabari Smith Jr., I expect to be a much better shooter eventually at some point. It looks like it's all there. But he wasn't a great shooter this year. You know, it got better over time, but he wasn't a great shooter this year. That's just the facts. And then Jalen Green, for me, the biggest outside of the actual shot selection itself, the biggest question mark on him is a player from whether he can go from what he is and, you know, good to good to great 
is the jump shot. Like if he can get a more a much more consistent jump shot, like watch out, he's going to be one of the better. He's going to be like an all NBA type of guy if that jump shot starts to work. So, you know, it, but but you've already got guys like that on your team that you've just drafted to draft in another guy who can't shoot onto a team that is one of the worst shooting teams in the NBA is just is just daunting to me. Can I propose a trade? Yes. Um, Orlando has six and eleven. So how about four and twenty for six and eleven? Four and twenty for six and eleven. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't think Orlando would probably I don't think Orlando wants the two picks, especially one at 20. But if if let's say because Orlando is kind of in a position where they can get a little aggressive, you know, and they can maybe go for the higher ceiling guy because the rest of that roster already is pretty good and they've got plenty of cap space. So you say, hey, you can go take one of the Thompson twins and you can let them grow a little bit while, you know, you try and win some games next year and the Rockets get a couple, get, you know, another lottery pick. You know, they move down two spots. I don't think there's much of a difference between four and six in this draft. And, and then they get 11 to go on top of it. I don't know. That's just yeah. No, I, I actually like it. Uh, but what's weird about it is that, somehow because it feels like i'm talking out of both ends from this standpoint of not wanting a player at four but uh, but also like i'm not <laughs> i'm i'm completely out on a player at 20 you know like i don't want anything that i've like i feel like i've been down that road already but you know the the, the idea that i don't want a player at four but yeah move me up from 20 to 11 you know like <laughs> you know it's just kind of just kind of a weird thing to think about with the draft and, and where you think the the Rockets could actually hit, but, uh, but I mean, and, and I'm trying to, well, I, let, let me just put it out. Let me just put it this way. Okay. Let's say, because like somebody like Grady Dick is somebody who would help the Rockets, you know, yes. Grady Dick can shoot the ball. Like yes. that, that would be helpful. You're not taking him at four though. Right. You wouldn't take him at six, but you know what? You could take yeah, him at 11. For sure. That's and, a good point. So, so like if you, let's say Orlando wants one of the Thompson twins, you could tell them, Hey, We'll give you we'll give you four so you can take the Thompson twin, give us six. Then maybe you can take Anthony Black in that spot. And then the Rockets can say, you know what, at eleven we'll we'll take uh we'll we'll take Kobe Dick, you know. So I think that's where it, it becomes a little bit interesting because somebody, you know, Grady Dick's not he's not gonna be there at 20. I think the Rockets kind of went through this with AJ Griffin last year. I don't know if they were interested in AJ Griffin, but he would have been a perfect fit because he was a guy who could really shoot the ball at Duke. That would have been a perfect guy for them, but he wasn't going to last till 17. And so they lost him because he wound up going, I, it was a few picks before um, 17. He got drafted by Atlanta. So that's the type of guy that you can get at 11 and he fills a role for you right away. He'd be able to play for you right away, but you're just, you're not taking him at four. You'd be crazy to take him at four. So that's why I kind of am of this, of the idea like, hey, try to, you know, take that four, you know, Get, make that pick in the top five or around the top five, but then try and move into the back of the lottery to get somebody who might be able to help you more than a guy who would help you at 20. So moving into the back end of the lottery, I think would help them. I just don't know if they would do it. And, and again, it would wind up giving them nine first round picks in a three year span, which is just absolutely absurd, but they're going to have nine first round picks in the, you know, they're, they're going to wind up doing that anyways. But I think it's just an interesting, there, there are so many different options that they have with this pick. And with this draft. And so I don't think that you can, you know, say no to any of them at this point. You got to at least have a meeting. Yeah. Well, and this goes to a point that we were making again on the last couple of episodes, but 
is worth reiterating. This is a time for Rafael Stone to really sort of prove himself. You know, this is where the job gets hard. We both made the point that he's done a lot of the easy stuff well, a lot of the stuff that pretty much any qualified person in that position could have probably done. Uh, but now are the times where when you got unlucky, now it's time to kind of get good and to get creative and thoughtful with with how you go about building out the rest of this team. So I think that's a I just think it's just a really interesting time and turn of events from, you know, going from what Rockets fans would have preferred, which is you get a player that's so easy to and so just clearly the guy to draft where it matters a lot less who your GM is. Now you just, you've got a guy who elevates you so much to where now all your GM's got to do is not completely screw it up to where now you've fallen out of that opportunity to where you really need your general manager to have some sort of ingenuity about himself and, and kind of really figure out what's going on here. But let's move on to this last thing. Cause I want to say like, and this probably goes without saying for anybody that follows us, but one of the, Part of the value that you and I bring to Sports Radio 610 is that we tend to be a little bit more rational and just like think a thing through. You said don't... it, not me. I'm not saying that no. about you. Hey, look. Hey, well, I'm up there That's with crazy. these guys. I'll, I'll tell it to them to their face uh, via text, FaceTime, face to face at the water cooler. Brandon Scott and Adam Spillane are the most rational guys at Sports Radio 610. That is part of the value that we bring. Now, it is also very important that those hosts play off of irrational emotions at times because that's what radio can be. So I'm not saying that that's the most valuable tool in what we do, per se, but I will say it's on brand for us. And I, I preface what I'm about to ask you with that, because over the last couple of days, ever since the best case scenario did not play out and not even the second or third best scenario played out, but they landed with four, as we've discussed, we've thrown it all out there. We were on the show with Landry Locker in the loops, Landry Locker middays, Monday through Friday. He threw it out there. Hey man, go trade for John Moran. Uh, Then the next day, and and I'm not, I'm not going to give you the, Hey, what you trading for John Moran? Hot take question. But I'm just painting this, laying this out here. Landry Locker's throwing out a throwing out John Moran at us on the lottery special show that we're doing on the air. Then yesterday, or was it even today? Uh, not long after that, I'm just like in the hallway, really the, the the studio right behind that. So the booth right behind that. I'm in there with Ron, and he's like, Hey man, what do you think they got to do to go get Dame Lillard? And 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 listen, listen, listen. This is why we're together here because both of these things. And I should I should note this too. I am mostly rational, like you are, but there is something about the Rockets when it comes to the Rockets that gets me kind of gets me going. Gets me the 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 irrational side tugs at me a little bit. And so I'm glad I actually do this show with you because and that I have access to you. I can just text you and kind of bring me back to earth here. But all of these things intrigued me, and I think it was part of a maybe some stage of grief or something. I don't know. Like something was going on with not getting uh, one of those top three picks. I'm like, John Morant, yes. Damian Lillard, yes. Anybody who's great at basketball, yes. Forget context and reality and th- and, and things that are rational. But, but let's have a real conversation about this. What do you think? Like non-stars that, that the Rockets – I'm sorry. Let me re-say that non-hardened stars 
We would definitely want stars. Nine hardened stars that the Rockets could target, whether it be in the in free agency or through you know through a trade, which is you know when it comes to stars, is effectively like the same thing. Who's a, what's a non-hardened name out there that is more rational and realistic than say Ja Morant, who's like whose career is probably hanging in the balance, and Dame Lillard, who has shown no propensity to want to leave Portland, and who and who knows how much of great Dame Lillard you have left. Like, what's it? What's actually real? You know, Ron. Ron wanting the Dame Lillard thing is hilarious because he's one of the loudest anti-Harden voices that's been out there. And do you know how much older James Harden is than Damian Lillard? Less than a year. They're the same age. They're less than a year apart. Uh, Portland would, they would never do that to Damian Lillard to trade it. And by the way, when's the last time Damian Lillard has, hasn't won a playoff series since 2019. He's won one playoff game since that kind of fake Western conference finals run that they went on. Yeah, so, but I saw him, but, but I watched him. They, 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 they lost in six to Denver without Jamal Murray in, in 2020. So, or in 2021. So sorry. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but I still watched him give 70 something buckets to these Rockets. Yeah. Well, <laughs> shoot. He's not the only one. Right. I was going to say, anybody, but who who couldn't if they yeah. give given the opportunity and chance? They tried. No, uh, Lillard, no, that's not. A, no, you're not going in that direction. First of all, Portland would never do that to him because of how important he, they're not. That's one of those things where if, if he wants to be traded, they're going to let him pick his team. Essentially what the Rockets did with Harden. Harden said, I want to go to Brooklyn. I want to go to Philly. They sent him to Brooklyn or Philly. So that's how that, that would be the scenario where that works. And frankly, yeah, that's so. No, well, the idea, to, to be fair to the idea, though, and this is what kind of got me thinking of it as a possibility, because I, I agree they wouldn't just. Well, first of all, let's just get this out of the way. They wouldn't just send them to the Rockets and nor would he want to do that, nor should even the Rockets want that, because how, how does Dame Lillard going from the Portland Trailblazers to the Rockets make Dame Lillard's situation any better or make the Rockets any different from being the Portland Trailblazers, which is not what they're aspiring to be. It's so, moving sand in the sandbox. Basically. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, so, so to that point, the idea was that you would be doing it to package, like it would be like enticing Damian Lillard, and it would be some tampering going on here. But you would be figuring out another star to pair him with, and and all of a sudden you're creating more of a super team as opposed to just some last, you know, desperate uh, attempt to bring in a star. You're actually kind of more in a calculated way trading for Damian Lillard, but you're also about to, you know. Trevor Jalen Brown or something, you know, pair disgruntled stars together in some kind of way and and let them work behind the scenes, which I don't know is actually uh, is is realistic either. But it was a was a fascinating hypothetical as opposed to like I I would much rather, especially if I don't know anything about what's going to happen now, I'd much rather the hypothetical of well, what if you had an all NBA guy like a Dame Lillard or a John Morant as opposed to who's better between Amon Thompson and Anthony Black, you know, which is a much more realistic possibility for you, but not as fun to talk about or to think about in terms of making them competitive again. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of in the boat of don't trade for somebody uh, unless it's like a top five type guy, you know, an all NBA type guy. Um, because, and just focus everything on developing the guys that you already have and spending your money in free agency. Because at least in free agency, you're not having to give away anything. You know, you're not trading capital 
in order to sign a guy in free agency, you're, you're giving up cap space, which who cares? Um, so that's the direct, you know, like if Minnesota calls and they offer up Carl Anthony Towns, I, I, I don't want that. That's not going to help me moving forward. If Carl Anthony Towns were worth that, Minnesota, you wouldn't be calling me. You know, we've kind of been down the Towns road before. So, no, I – I don't think like if Dallas called and said, Hey, we're ready to move off of Luca. What are you going to give us? Okay. Well then you, you know, you offer up anything for that, but the odds of that happening are incredibly slim. So I just, for me, I don't see the trade being out there. Now, maybe if they're going to make a trade, I think that you would take a bad contract into your cap space. That's the only type of trade that I could see them making because I, I just don't think that anything else is going to really move the needle enough for them unless it's, you know, one of these top guys. Yeah, like one of the ones that you mentioned, and I hate that we're doing this right as it's a close finish here in Denver in game two when we're recording this four-game or four-point game here. Anthony Davis had a had a shot go in and out, and I'd love to be kind of – so let's, let's kind of wrap this up here. I want to kind of go back and actually finish that game, watch a little bit of that game. But um, the, you mentioned one of the trades – when we were doing that special, like talking about bringing in salary, like if if Charlotte was willing to move off of that pick, a, a great trade would be um, that I thought you actually brought up would be, hey, here's four and 20, whatever hodgepodge of Brooklyn picks you want. And hey, we'll take on Gordon Hayward's salary, too, because I feel like everybody has seen enough of that at that salary, you know, being willing to do that. And maybe you, I don't know, you figure out maybe if Gordon Hayward can shoot the ball, <laughs> maybe you might actually play him um funny enough because normally you think about maybe buying out a guy like that or do, i don't know doing something else but he might actually could help you um if you're the rocket so um it's just a shame that you're kind of a you're kind of in no man's land there of there's not a a great trade partner for either the picks the picks i mean two and three like to go get one of these guys that you want or for one of the stars that that could be out there or or, or hoping that there's a distressed out asset out there um, you know, like a, like it, like if it was a, like if Damian Lillard, for some reason, did want to come to Houston or something like that, you know, and, and there's no reason for, for him to to feel that way, but it just doesn't seem like any of those options are out there. Well, you know, I brought up Hayward just in terms of maybe trying to trade up to get to two, but even if Charlotte doesn't want to trade up to two, Charlotte's not going to try to win next year. You know, the Hornets aren't good; they're really bad. Try and get off the the Hayward contract, anyways. You know, give that a shot, or see if you can see if you can take on the Hayward contract because he is a guy that helps you that would help you win some games this year. He's a good player when he's actually on the floor. He's just not on the floor enough, and it, it would be an expiring contract. So if you want to make a trade for somebody, take on somebody like that, where it's just not going to, where it's just basically going to cost you your cap space. It's a one year type thing, and, and see maybe you roll the dice with that. I think that's the type of trade that you're looking for. You're not necessarily looking for something for maybe a long-term type guy. You know, the one good thing about having cap space is that it gives you a lot of flexibility to do some things and you can be, you know, somewhat predatory with it. You know, there's a team that really needs to get under the cap or needs to create space in order to bring in a player. Then that's, that's where you come in and you can maybe pick up an asset, you know, if, if there's one out there. So they have a lot of different options that they can go to. I, I don't know necessarily what the best one is, but there are some, there are some things that they can do even though things didn't really work out the way that they wanted to on lottery night. Dude, LeBron just ran down the court in three seconds and laid the ball up at almost at almost 40 years old. It is kind of wild what he can do physically. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of watching the game on the side eye here. Look, man, we can, 
we're going to talk this thing to death, man. We've got the draft coming up in about a month. Of course, summer league coming up not too long after that. We'll talk. We'll, I guess it's time to start looking at prospects, Adam. It's time to start evaluating and start to look at guys that fit well with the Rockets. What are some smart moves? Like, look, this is going to be a podcast that is going to at least take seriously what the task in front of them is. You know, like I spent the day after wallowing in the idea that they missed on this pick. But then I started thinking, hey, you know what I'm going to do to do a pick me up? You're not going to believe this, Adam. I went and watched some like I watched the 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 comeback game, the the comeback game in 2015 uh, against the Clippers where they come back from three one. I watched the last couple of games of that and uh, of that series and was like, hey, man, this is a simpler time and things will get better at some point, you know. So uh so that's how that was my coping mechanism and we'll we'll do a little bit more uh H Town Hoops therapy around here in the coming days. So uh for Adam Spillane, Brandon Scott, Austin Mendez producing this bad boy for us. This is the H Town Hoops podcast. Make sure you subscribe and tell a friend. <laughs>